Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to spend week number two in the same text that we spent uh, last weekend. We've covered part of the sermon or part of the message from this text last week, and we're going to cover part two this week. I, maybe you're getting tired of me saying things like this, but I just I want to say it again because uh, of anything last week reminded me of, of the reality of this. It's, uh, uh, there's all kinds of times when we can, we can read the Bible and we can go to church and we can sit there and we can, we can uh, treat the text we're talking about and we can nod our heads and we can, we can sort of say, yeah, I agree with that. And, and I'm, I'm very confident of the fact that there's times when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and, and sort of pierces down inside of what's going on in us and, and, and reaches in there. Uh, I find, I've had this sense as we started about chapter 4 of Ephesians in verse 17, and just coming on through this now, I've had this sense that there's just this growing awareness that we're really getting into some things that, it, and I've said this before, but it's, it's like impossible for us to simply, I don't know, I mean, I suppose it's possible if you totally check out and not really pay attention, but it's almost impossible for us to just sort of theoretically deal with the verses we're talking about, because uh, almost all of us now, we're talking about husbands and wives last week and this week, and so I suppose there's single people here, but many of you young single people are thinking about marriage, or uh, maybe someday you're going to be married, and, and uh, uh, others of you have uh, walked through some difficult things in life and maybe were married and are no longer married, or just have all kinds of other things going on. There's still a... Pl- a application of things, and, and it's not just this text, but the whole thing is, there's this, this unmistakable thrust of, I can't just, I can't just read it and make some nice points about it and send you all home feeling great about ourselves. I don't know what last week was like for you, and I got some really good feedback, um, and I appreciate that. I, I'll tell you like I think I said it just last week, it, it's, a, it's a real privilege for me to preach to a congregation that wants to have the Bible talk to them because uh, we're finding out there's some things that aren't so easy or so much fun or it's just sort of the encouraging rah-rah, we got this kind of thing. It's sometimes the, wow, I have a long way to go, stuff that we hear. And this week will be no different. So let's read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. If you're visiting with us today, you missed last week, uh, which is fine. I'll try to do just a brief review so you have some idea of, of what we talked about. If you uh, don't know it already, on the back side of your bulletin, if you picked one up today, there's a, a brief handout you to follow. Again, like last week, um, I told you this last week, and I'll say it again and again for those that weren't here. Uh, typically, I have a lot of other passages of scripture in with the text I'm preaching, just because I think it's good practice for us to represent or to support the text so that you know that I'm not just sort of making things up. I'm, I'm telling you what I think is the best of my ability what the Bible says. Um, I don't have so much of this in this uh, message. I didn't last week either. I have it all in my notebook at home, and I had a whole bunch of things written out. And as I got to uh, preach, or got to think about how this is actually going to get delivered to all of you, I began to realize that uh, Really, what I need to do is read the text, and I don't think I have to do a whole lot of, of additional stuff with that, and I think we'll find the same to be true today. So, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. That's where we're going to start. We're going to read through the end of the chapter, verse 32, through verse 33. Listen here. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit, should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. As the author of this text, Father, I again come to you before we presume to say anything about it and just invite your Holy Spirit presence, invite your uh, dominion, your, your rule over my brain and my tongue, over uh, our ears and our hearts, over our attitudes. Those of us who have named Jesus as our Savior, Jesus, may you also be our Lord now as we sit and listen to your word and, and, and hear the things that you have to say to us about it. I love, I say this all the time, I'll say it again because it's always true. I love, Holy Spirit, how you uh, can speak through me and say words that, uh, through me that you want to say. I love how you can speak directly into our hearts without making them uh, uh, audible words through my mouth. And I ask you to do it this morning so that you might be glorified, God, that you, Jesus, might be lifted high, and that, Holy Spirit, you might be acknowledged as the indwelling holy presence of God in us that gets to reign and rule over us. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. So last week we covered the first part of this, as I said, and what we really did was to set the groundwork. So if you weren't here, it's a bit unfortunate because so, I can't go through it all again, but to set the groundwork to remind you that the first thing that Paul is talking about in this text, though it is about husbands and wives, of course, the first thing he's talking about is about Christ and the church, Jesus and the church. And he wants to, he wants to demonstrate something about Jesus and the church. And, and, and his point, as I said this last week, his point, even as, he give, as he's giving instruction to us as husband and wives, his point is, I'm really talking about Jesus and the church. And I made this point last week that if we do that well, if we understand that well, then honestly, the application of that isn't, well, the specific application might be difficult in our own personal lives, but the application of that isn't that tough. The understanding of what he's trying to say isn't that tough. Now, that's not to mean that we like it or that it's easy or that we uh, are, you know, always fully on board with it. But it's understanding it's not that tough. And then, so then we spent the last part of last week uh, treating husbands, talking to husbands, talking to the men about what they're, uh, what, how they are supposed to represent Christ. So, of course, today we're going to flip that around. We're going to talk about uh, women and how wives are supposed to represent the church in this picture. And then we're going to spend some time at the end uh, with what I think is the crux of what Paul is trying to teach and what brings together uh, his, his, his picture of Christ in the church and his picture of husbands and wives. So, uh, I should have put that up before. We're talking about how light, walk, which walking is children of light, how light is in the home. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As much as last week was difficult, I'd just, I, I, I'd, I'd like to be as honest with you as I can when I preach. Um, as much as, it, as last week was difficult because it smashed my toes as I sat there during the week and, and was preparing and was knowing what I was going to have to say and uh, hopefully came through last week that uh, very clearly I don't have this down. 
very clearly, this is not, uh, I'm not an expert on how husbands are to act. Very clearly, I uh, don't always walk in light in my home as I interact. As difficult as that is, I think today is even more difficult for me because I feel like it's uh, something that's a huge issue. I'll just say it. It's something that's a huge issue in our culture. And it's something that uh, we get a lot of pushback on. And it's something that for a male is probably hard to talk to females about. I'm not a wife. That should be clear. I'm not a wife. So for me to uh, speak to you, I'll tell you very clearly how I can do that this morning. If you are a wife, if you're a female here this morning. I can speak to you solely on the basis of what God has written in his text. To be honest, that's exactly what I did last week. Because I didn't speak to you from the perspective that I have this all figured out and I can tell you how husbands should act. I spoke to us together on the basis of the authority of the word of God and what the Holy Spirit had inspired Paul to write out about husbands and wives and how they should interact with each other. So today's no different. Wives, you should submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now last week I put up a fairly long list of uh, what Jesus does in relation to the church. I'll put it up a little later today as we get to our last point that we're gonna get to. But uh, for now, that's not, but we also had a shorter list. I put it up there briefly last week. We're gonna spend more time with it today. Uh, I put up a shorter list that's contained in this text of what, how wives should interact with their husbands so that they can paint the picture that they're supposed to paint. So they can be the church as people look at our marriages, for those of us who are walking in the light, uh, walking as children of light, that people look at our marriages, that they see the church in how they interact. So here's the list. It's fairly short. It's three things, actually. And again, these are things that are explicitly stated. I could have gone to some other places in the, in the Bible. I could have even maybe inferred a few other things uh, from this text, but I'll do the same as I did last week. These are things explicitly stated in the text. The church, without a doubt, submits to Christ. The church, without a doubt, respects or honors or fears, depending which word you want to use. The word is phobeho, which is the word for fear. You know, when you have a phobia, that's where we get the English word for that. Uh, we have a phobia. That means we're afraid of something. But the word carries with it also uh, the idea of an honor, respect. It's what you do when you're in the presence of a king, is you bow before him. You submit to him. You recognize that, that, that he is elevated above you and has power, uh, has authority, I should say it that way, over you. The church respects, honors, fears Christ. Without a doubt, right? And the church is joined to Christ. Now, you notice I colored that differently. You'll see in a little bit why, uh, and if you remember the list from last week, uh, because the last ones are the same for both uh, Jesus and the church, meaning they're the same for both husbands and wives. Now, you notice I said very specifically something as I went through that list, that when we're talking about church and Jesus, we can say these things without a doubt, Right? I don't think any of us would quibble with this morning and be like, no, the church isn't supposed to submit to Christ. That's, boy, that's, uh, that's, that's asking for something that's way too much. That's not how God designed it. We wouldn't say the church is not supposed to respect or honor Jesus. Are you kidding me? That's demeaning to, her, to the church. We wouldn't say that, would we? We wouldn't say, no, the church is not really supposed to be one with, with Jesus. In fact, much of what Paul has been writing in the first three chapters of, of the book of Ephesians was entirely about that point. I say that because I tell you that's the, that's the reason, the basis I can tell you that we should not make any of those excuses with husbands and wives then either. We shouldn't say that wives shouldn't submit to their husbands or wives shouldn't respect or honor or fear their husbands. Wives shouldn't be joined to their husbands. No, we should be no more willing to say that than we are about the church and Jesus for that's what the text is teaching. 
Now, Paul is saying this on the exact same basis as what he said it with husbands last week. Remember I made the point that when we talk about husbands loving and giving and nourishing and cherishing and doing all those things, it's not that they're supposed to be doing this, that we're supposed to be doing this as if it were some other person. His entire argument rests on the fact that we're one. Just like the church is one with, Je with Jesus, so when Jesus does these things for the church, it's not like he's saying, oh, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for some other entity or some other body. He's saying, I'm doing it for my body, for we're part of his body. And so husbands should do the same thing. And I will flip this right around. That's why the church does this for Jesus. And that's why wives do. It's not like wives are asked to submit to some, some other thing or some other entity, if you get the point I'm trying to make. It's rest resting on the same basis that wives should submit to their husbands because they're part of their husband. Wives should honor and respect their husbands because they're part of their husband. Same reason that husbands should love and, and give of themselves to their wives and nourish and cherish, cherish them and, and sanctify them and, and wash them with the words that they say. Now I want you to notice a couple of things about this as we read this verse now. I don't have it up there anymore, but the verse was wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Um, I want you to, uh, that he, he puts that word own in there because he's making a contrast. If, I don't know if you remember this, this was a couple of weeks ago by now, but the very last verse I read uh, a couple of weeks ago in verse 21 says that we are all supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Same word, phobeho, same word submit as what we just read in verse 22. So uh, we're all supposed to submit to each other out of reverence. In fact, I, I posted to you that day, if you, again, a couple of weeks ago, I posted to you that that's one of the signs that we are walking as children of light, if we're willing to elevate others and submit to them out of reverence for Christ. Not necessarily because of who they are, although that could be part of it, but because of reverence for Christ, we elevate others and, and, and lower our own. We, we, don't, we don't put ourselves first. We're not selfish. That was one of the signs I, I proposed to you that was one of the signs that we were walking as children of light. Now, he follows that up in verse 22, Paul does, by saying, wives, submit to your own husbands, because as he's going to get into the specific topic of marriage relationship now, and the picture that's supposed to be painted about Jesus and the church, he wants to make sure you know that your, this is going to come out a little weird, but, but that your submission to your, your own husband supersedes your submission to each other. Does that make sense? I use the word of submission and superseding, which kind of together, which is kind of opposites. But uh, that, that, that your call is to be submitted to your own husband. In other words, if there's, if, if there's ever, hopefully there's not, but if there's ever a, a, a question between the two, you know where your allegiance should lie. Again, because you're joined to your husband. Now, these scenarios shouldn't exist, and unfortunately they do in some cases, but they shouldn't exist where you have other people telling uh, or presuming to have authority over a spouse, over a wife, uh, going against a husband. And I want to be careful and say that. Uh, well, I'll just finish my statement. Uh, presuming to have authority over, over uh, different from the husband, and, and the wife is, is caught in the middle there. And I think that's why Paul is writing this. Now, we're going to get to the end. So just, I, I, I don't know where your brain is going when I make statements like that. But if I have my guess, for many of us, it's like we think of all the but, but, but situations right away, right? Like, but you don't know, like, when this is going on, it's not fair. You can't ask for that. I'd like to remind you of something I say very often in, in discussions about things that are hot-button issues. We tend, as human beings, and certainly in our culture today, we tend to uh, be driven to the exceptions and try to make rules based on those exceptions, if you get what I'm trying to say. In churches, we've done this. In our, our church culture specifically, we've done this. We make rules based on the exceptions sometimes, and I don't think that's good. 
don't think that's right. We say, well, but here's this exception to it, so now you have to, you can't, this, so then the whole, because we should be making our, uh, what we think should happen based on what the Word of God says as the standard. You know, I've said many times through this study already, right? The bar is up here. If you were a husband here last week, my guess is the bar felt really far up there. I know that's how it felt for me. Like really far up there. And I don't think today's any different, is it? When I'm looking at wives today, it's not any different. It's not like I suddenly brought the bar down and said, oh, but for you, yeah. No, it's just as high, isn't it? That's, I'm sorry, that's what Christianity is. That's what Jesus calls us to. So it's difficult. And we don't, we, we, we want to say, but when this happens, then I don't have to, Right? And I think the Holy Spirit is constantly reminding us that when you and I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we will have to answer for the things that we did, not that others did to us. Which means if I, just think this through, right? If I say, well, they didn't act in a manner that was correct, so therefore I don't have to either. Now, when I stand before Jesus, is that, is that excuse going to hold? Am I going to get to say, well, they did that, so now I'm okay, right? And Jesus will say, Oh, I see. You're right. You have extenuating circumstances. And you kind of chuckle nervously, right? Because you know that's not true, and you, but you also know what that means then, right? You know that that means that we don't get to play that game. We want to. It makes us feel a lot better, and it's a whole lot easier, and it justifies a whole lot of things in our lives. But we don't get to. You know everything I'm saying I can say about husbands too, right? Like husbands can do the same thing. Wives, submit to your own husbands. And the second part I want to point out about that phrase is, as to the Lord. I think there's two things that happens when Paul says wives should submit to their husbands as to the Lord. I think it, it reminds us of two things. First of all, it reminds us that your highest allegiance, wives, your highest allegiance is to Christ. You submit to your husband as you do to the Lord because your, the Lord has your ultimate allegiance. None of this moves you out from underneath the authority that Jesus has over you. Very clearly, and this is where I think we can talk, entertain some discussion, because very clearly, if your husband asks you to do things that are unbiblical, then I don't think you should do them. Because your highest allegiance is to Jesus. By the way, if your husband is under Jesus' allegiance, or Jesus' authority, then he should never be asking for those things, right? But... We live in a world that's pretty messed up, don't we? We live with people that are full of sin. We live with people that are, have flesh, and we live with people walking in darkness, which means we don't always get it right. But when he says, as to the Lord, he reminds us that your highest allegiance wives are to Christ, and it's also reminding you that even as you submit to your husband, your focus is to be on Christ. In other words, that's the reason that you're submitting to him. Jesus is the reason, out of respect. It's the same thing that Paul just got to saying in verse 21. We're to submit to each other. Why? Because I think all of you are better than me? Or because I, I am somehow supposed to demean myself? No, I do it out of reverence for Christ. Because I'm honoring Jesus. Because the way that I honor Jesus is to honor those created in his image. The way I honor Jesus is to say, well, I can't show Jesus this kindness because he's in heaven. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to offer that kindness to his image bearers. 
So that's the reason why, right? I submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands for the same reason, out of reverence for Christ, as you do to the Lord. Now, again, I have probably spent enough time with that because uh, you have the list. If you were here last week, you heard how this is supposed to point to Jesus and the church. So we can think through how the church responds to Jesus and it's not a whole lot of stretch for us to think about what that means for us as wives. How, what, what, is that, what, is that, what does that imply? So I want to spend the rest of my time with what I think is sort of the central, even though it doesn't come in the middle, but the central verse that Paul is driving to, and he's actually a quotation, but it's this verse right here. I think the point he's really trying to make between Jesus and the church and between husbands and wives is that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is the mystery he's talking about. How can two become one? How can two become one? What is, how, does, how is that possible? And he says, that's why I'm talking about Jesus in the church because first I want you to understand that it happens with Jesus in the church. That's how it happens. But at the same time, this is what I want your marriages to look like because you can represent something to the world that they're not going to see anywhere else. That two shall become one. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one. Now, listen, of all the things I've said already and all the things I've done to probably make you feel like, man, this guy's like, this guy's like strict and he's like unreasonable with all this stuff and I don't know, I want to, you want to argue, maybe you want to argue with me, I don't know. I just want you to know that the way God designed things to be, they're not meant to be a burden to us. They're not meant to be something that's like, oh, you mean I have to love my wife again, right? They're not meant to be like, oh, I have to respect him some more. It's not meant to be a, a, a troublesome thing. It's not meant, that's how God designed it. And we can go way back to the beginning to see what God intended because much of what I just read to you last week and this week is based on these verses that we find in Genesis chapter two. So I'm gonna read them for you. Genesis chapter two, I'm gonna go to verses 18 and just read through the end of the chapter there. You can flip there if you want or just listen in. God has created, he's done all these wonderful things. He's created a man, but he's not yet created woman. And this is what it says in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. And everything else he'd made up to that point he made them male and female. He made them male and female. Then he created man, we know to be Adam, and he made just him. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then he says, the line that we, that Paul just quoted, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. 
So when I tell you that, and Paul tells you that there's this mystery that two can become one, that there's something that happens that two can become one, and we say, how can that be? Because it gets all messed up. I'm just reminding you that it's taking it back, the redemption that Jesus Christ has worked, is taking it back to what God has actually, had actually done at the very beginning, right? Because quite literally, they were one to start with. Out of one came two, and God's saying that's just what it goes back to. Two become one. That's why it works that way. He created man. He said it's not good for them to be alone. And so he created woman out of man. This is what Adam said. It's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I'm suggesting to you that when we come together in marriage, when we are joined together, and that could be a whole another discussion we're not going to have this morning about what exactly constitutes joining together, but we will talk about that word in a little bit. But when we're joined together, that we really should see it as going back to this. That my wife is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she sees herself as having come and being joined to me. And then all the things that Paul is saying about husbands and wives really isn't that big of a stretch, is it? He says that, right? He says, well, nobody ever, nobody ever denies their own body. Like, you love yourself. You take care of yourself. That's what you do. And that's simply what I'm asking you to do. Go back to that verse that, we, that I had up there a little bit ago. A husband shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become, the two shall become one flesh. The word hold fast is an interesting word. It's the word proskalaho, which you don't need to know that word in, in Greek, but it's the word that means to glue or adhere something together, two things together, to glue or adhere two things together. That's the kind of phrases he uses, that you should be glued together. Husbands... And I would say by extension, wives, women are to leave, men and women are to leave their fathers and mothers and shall hold fast to each other and they shall become. That's what allows two. And actually, if you look at the language, it says two will become one. That's literally what it says. Two will become one. Now, I don't have vast years of experience as a pastor. I don't have vast experience as a counselor. I have some, and I don't know that it's very helpful always to make broad, big brush generalizations, but I think we could probably understand that much, much of marital difficulty, marital strife, things that cause problems, things that cause separations, things that cause all kinds of difficulties in our marriages, whether we are physically separated or not, much of that comes down to this verse right here, I'm actually just going to back up a slide because this verse right here and not properly applying this verse. Leaving, which is a big one, leaving. Now, I'm not talking abandoning, but uh, I think many marriages struggle because one or both of husband or wife are still tied too much to their parents. I'll just say that. Or that parents are trying to exert too much control in their children's marriages still. Truly holding fast or cleaving or being glued to each other and truly becoming one. So in these texts that we've been walking through, Paul has been making a contrast between those who walk in light and those who walk in darkness. Those who walk as the new man and those who are walking as the old man still. And I want to do a little bit of that today because I think that uh, that, uh, that, that verse I just talked about, that's the key to understanding what, what Paul is trying to say. And maybe sometimes it's helpful to see how we don't do that. 
to illustrate what should be happening. Now, before we get there, I just want to put up these lists really quickly again for you. This is the list that husbands were to have. In case you weren't here last week or in case you need to be reminded if you were here last week. Just as these things are true about Jesus and the church, we'll just leave it there and I think you can understand they're supposed to be true for you and your wife then. Jesus is the head of the church. He loves the church. He gave himself up for the church. He sacrifices for the church. Sorry, he sanctifies the church. I should put it that way. I didn't, couldn't read my own, my, the text back there. He cleanses the church through the word, through what he says. He nourishes the church. He cherishes the church. He takes care of the church. Those are very tender words. And he is joined. He is glued to the church. By the same token, the church, this is, we already covered this, the church submits to Jesus Christ. The church respects or honors or fears Jesus Christ. The church is joined to Jesus Christ. I want to look at just a couple of old man responses that tend to find their way into our marriages. I'm going to just do it. There's probably always some things in between, but I'm going to do it by using two extremes to help you sort of see the, the two sides we tend to swing to. So we're going to start with husbands, and uh, we'll just uh, pick on us for a little bit. I think one of the uh, extreme responses for husbands in response to or how their marriage relationship is supposed to be is that they turn into tyrants. It's an abuse of what God has called us to do, and I think a husband that is a tyrant understands the call to headship, but he forgot that Jesus came to serve and not to be served. He forgot that Jesus came to give of himself as he loved. He forgot, or he's too selfish, to see that the wife, his wife, is not a piece of property or something that it belongs to him as if he has ownership over her, and that she's, like, she's only there to fill his needs. Now, I say these things, and I want you to know that I mean these things. These are things that bump up into our marriages, brothers and sisters. Like, we can talk about the extremes, but I'm, which is where I'm going to go, but I'm going to guess that many of us find ourselves on some scale here. And one of the biggest abuses, I think, in our culture, specifically speaking, is men ending up here. Very clear because they've been taught their whole lives that they're supposed to be in charge. And then they take charge and they forget that they're supposed to uh, see their wife as the precious, honorable part of their body that needs to be covered. Needs to be loved and cherished. And that from the beginning, God said it's not good for man to be alone because he needs a helper fit for him, which means to me that he needs help, that I need help, right? God wouldn't have looked at man and said, eh, let's just do a little bonus here. He said, no, he needs help. And when a man, when a husband is a tyrant, he's implying that she's only there to serve my needs. I don't need any help. And it's not true. You could go all the way to the other side of this spectrum, and we find this to be true as well, that husbands abdicate. Do you know what the word abdicate means? What does abdicate mean? Sorry. If you don't know, what, somebody tell me, what does abdicate mean? So to abdicate as a king means that he steps off the throne and refuses to do what he's supposed to do. To abdicate is to relinquish your duties, is to go silent and is to say, I'm not doing that. So that list I just put up there, for husbands, sometimes as husbands, our response is that, that, yeah, I don't really want to do that. That costs me too much. That's too risky. I don't have enough courage to. I'm afraid I'll fail. 
or whatever other reason I want to trot out there. So I won't even try. One of the things I realized in my own life, this is going to sound kind of weird, but actually uh, I'm going to, it's going to kind of, kind of come around, I hope, because I want you to see this is not a, this is not, this, I'm not saying something good about myself, just so you know this. One of the things I realized in my life as an adult, one day, uh, actually my brother-in-law made a comment to me that, uh, that he was like, I don't know how it works, but it seems like all the things that you do, you're good at. And it kind of like stuck in my head. And in an instant, like, I mean, this happened. I mean, the Holy Spirit, I mean, it was like in an instant, I realized that what he said, what he meant as a compliment to me was actually pointing out something that was a weakness in me because I said, no, the truth is I only do the things that I think I won't fail at. Because one of my biggest, one of my, I, I'm, I'm, I don't like failing. So if I think I'm going to fail, I don't try. Because somehow in my head that's not failing. Anyway, that's what our flesh says, right? This is what our protectionist, selfish flesh says. So a husband that's afraid of failing will abdicate. He'll say, I don't think I'm going to get it right or I'm going to upset people or whatever and so I just won't do it. Again, we can talk about extremes but I'm guessing men as you're sitting here today you're probably seeing yourself somewhere on those scales. The same is true for wives by the way. Wives also have old man. It doesn't make sense if I put it in quotes, but that old man responses, old flesh responses, right? Not new creation responses in their marriages. I don't think you probably need much help. Uh, you probably didn't need help with the first two. You probably don't need help with the next two. I think very clearly one of the biggest tendencies for wives is to usurp authority. It's to kick against the goads or to uh, not be content with what they think, what they, believing the lie that God is somehow robbing them of something or demeaning them or lowering their status or making them not as, as worthy or as good or whatever it might be and saying, I'm not okay with that. Maybe he doesn't know how to do it well enough. So a wife usurps authority and says, I can do this. I'm going to do this. Actually, this was indicated all the way back when the fall happened in Genesis, when God looked at Eve after the, after the fall, and he said, your desire will be for your husband, or depending on how you translate the word, actually, I think it should be, will be against your husband, and he will rule over you, because I think it's, it sets up that, that what goes on. It's, it's the sinful response in us. You see, both on the, for me, it's this side, for you, it's this side, husband responses are sinful, right? And both responses on the wife's side are going to be sinful, We're kidding ourselves if we think that in our conservative Mennonite circles, we don't have problems with this. I think on the flip side, again, we see scales. Or we see, I give you the extremes, you see scales in between, hopefully. On the flip side, I think wives can see, well, I understand submission. I understand that I'm supposed to be here. And they, and they see themselves no different than the tyrant husband does, that they're just part of the property that's there and part of the thing that they're supposed to, they're just there to whatever, just be part of what they're, whatever, do whatever their husband wants, to become a non-participant. I wasn't quite sure what a good phrase was for this, but this, I'm just trying to explain to you what, to become a non-participant, to just sort of say, doormat, uh, whatever happens, you get, you, I, I won't participate in any decision-making either, you, you just make them, I'm, I'm, that's also not helpful. Remember, your husband 
needs a helper fit for him. He needs help. I found in my own marriage many, many, many times to my chagrin, trust me, if you know what that word means, if, if you know what that word means, it means I don't like it. To my chagrin, I found many times that God speaks very wisely through my wife and I need her input to make a decision. If I don't get it, I make the wrong choice. I would be foolish to not involve her. Once again, you may see a little bit of sort of that, that opposite going on. And you also probably can understand very quickly that when one of these begins to take place, it's going to affect the other. And very quickly, you're going to see if you have a tyrant husband, you're probably going to have a non-participant wife. If you have an abdicating husband, you're probably going to have a wife usurping authority. And I'm not interested in playing a chicken and egg game this morning about which came first. Because the reality is, when we look at the lists, we're each responsible for our side of the thing, right? Which means we don't get to say, but, but, that, that, she wasn't respecting me, so I just said, fine, I'll just do my own thing. Ah, he was being a tyrant and didn't care what I said, so I just, or he didn't do it right. Once again, I find myself realizing that this text isn't that hard to understand. It's very difficult to be willing to walk out because it goes against the grain of what we want. It's exactly the message of Ephesians that we once were walking in darkness, but now it was, we're not like that anymore. We walk as children of light and we should, we should walk that out. And that doesn't just mean out there when we, well, that doesn't just mean in church when we want to impress everyone. That means in our homes with our husbands and our wives. This is where it must begin. I can tell you, husbands and wives, who if you have children are called moms and dads, our children will not learn how to walk as disciples of Jesus Christ if we are not the picture of Jesus in the church. It's not gonna happen. No, I mean, it could happen by God's grace because it's happened all the time. God, God, God thankfully covers a lot of things that we don't. But you're not helping your children. I think when we, when we have these responses, we are indicating that we do not understand the unity, the oneness between Jesus and the church and the oneness that God wants between husbands and wives in our marriages. If we're struggling with these things, it begs the question to me, are we really one? Have we really been joined together? If I'm behaving as a tyrant or if I'm abdicating as a husband, if she's usurping authority or not participating as a wife, it begs the question, do I truly, have I truly become one? Because if we have, I don't think we get these things. Because we would never do that to ourselves, right? We would never do that to ourselves, to our own, our own bodies which means that we don't see ourselves that way. We're not understanding how God has joined us together with Jesus and how God has joined us together. Paul actually talked about this. I'm gonna use these verses to close this morning. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter six when he's talking about us with Jesus. I'm just gonna read these verses. He's actually talking about sexual immorality. I think Curvin read these verses uh, just uh, on Sunday, last Sunday night when he, as part of his sermon, but I'm gonna read them again to us for the context of this morning. In verse 17, he says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. 
And then he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, that's just to set the stage for what I want to, the verse I want to close with. But it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's uh, worth our time to think about when he says that we're committing uh, every other sin is outside the body, but this is, think about the discussion of the oneness in the body we've had this morning, husbands, wives, Jesus, and the church. I think that's why this is true, why sexual immorality does those things. But that's the joining of us with Jesus. In the next chapter, Paul talks about principles for marriage, and he says this in verse four. I just want to use this to summarize my message, put it together. As we think about husbands and wives relating to each other, Paul makes this statement, which I find very interesting. It puts us in this sort of continual loop with each other, right? Which I think is where he wants us. The wife does not have authority over her own body. But the husband does. But then you read the second half, and it says the exact same except the opposite, right? Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. If you were married here today, or there's a few of you here that are contemplating marriage very soon, I would ask us to think carefully whether we can say this verse is true for us. That I believe my wife has authority over my body and for her to believe that I have authority over her body. It's very un-American, isn't it? It's very unhuman, very unfleshly. It's very Jesus-like. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Once again, thanks for your word. We're in a situation again this morning where, uh, boy, it, it hits us, God. Your word is like, well, like it says about itself. It's like a sword that's sharp, it's two-edged, and it just, just divides. It cuts right down inside of us. It finds those nuances in us. It, 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 it lays bare all the things that we're thinking inside and, and all the excuses and justifications that I want to make about why I don't have to be a husband as Jesus was to the church. And it just reveals all about that that is not true and, and, and reminds me of the high bar you've called me to. And this morning you did it for wives. You did a uh, reminder for me again. Lord, I pray for there to be oneness in our marriages. Pray for there to be unity in our marriages. I pray for us to see the example that Paul laid out, that we're talking about Jesus and the church and the, and the union that happened there, the, the gluing together that happened there, and then to say, that's what I want to represent in my marriage. I pray for uh, those this morning who uh, are, are in the middle of some kind of struggle. And when I say that, honestly, that's really probably all of us because I'm thinking about my own marriage and I realize, God, that there's, that there's communication issues and there's times when, when, when we chafe or there's times when I don't love as Jesus, I don't give myself as Jesus, I don't nourish and cherish, I don't, I don't wash with, as with, like with water with, with the words that I say to my wife. There's times when she uh, usurps authority. There's times when she doesn't submit as she should. So we struggle with this. And for those of us who are in that battle, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just move in our hearts, give us a renewed uh, desire and a renewed ability by your grace, God, to carry out our side of things in our relationships. Thank you. 
I'm reminded of the song we ended with this morning in our worship time, God, and just how true it is that we need you in this. Where your grace comes and your grace works holiness in us and that holiness is walking as children of light, walking as husbands of light and wives of light so that there's a light in our home. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.